going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Red and White Authority presented to you by Labatt Blue. I'm Daniela Bruce and alongside Art Regner. And I know Art always loves to enjoy a nice cold Labatt Blue. Ice cold, frothy Labatt Blue. Oh, frothy. I'm going to get it. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, (laughs) Daniela. As you know, uh, our longtime uh, presenter, sponsor, uh, uh, the Red and White Authority is brought to you by Labatt Blue. And it is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. And we also want you to enjoy our premium beer responsibly, but please enjoy it. Wow. Because it is wonderful. Wonderful. Especially this time of year. You would think you work for Labatt Blue just with how good your your sponsor reads are and how how good you promote them. And I've actually seen him drinking a Labatt Blue, so. Well. I will tell you, I've probably spent enough where I should own some of the company <laughs> on, on Labatt Blue. But, uh, yo, Danielle, this was a really interesting week for the Red Wings. You know, the scary situation with Dylan going down mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, JT Comfer out for a while. Uh, they're beginning to, you know, injuries beginning to pile up on this club. Yet, I think the moves that Steve made in the offseason, bringing in veteran talent has kind of calmed the storm a little bit where these fellas don't get uh, rattled no yeah. matter what the score is. I mean, they, they play a full 60 for the most part, and they're very, very competitive. Yeah, well, you had two tough losses there, the one to Ottawa and then obviously in Dallas. The Red Wings dropped that game too. But Derek Lalone spoke after the Dallas game, and he said this a couple of times throughout the week, that he had confidence in the lineup that the team was putting out there, even in the absence of all the players that you mentioned. And David Perron also added to that list with the suspension. So I thought that was something I haven't heard from a Red Wings coach in a while, that you're missing – four of your top players, right? Five players. And you still have confidence that this team can go out there and compete. And that's not to say that we didn't like the Red Wings of the past and those players couldn't do it. But if you lost five players off the Red Wings team two years ago, even last year, this would have been a completely different story. Well, certainly because you're bringing in young talent, young unproven talent, and they have a tendency to press Mm -hmm. and think about it and grab the sticks too tight. The people that are now stepping up, although I, I do want to talk about specifically three players uh, that have really come uh, come of age, shall we say, this year. But uh, And I think that that is it. There is a calming effect. There is a leveling uh, on the bench. And, and when I mean that, you know, the, John Wooden, one of the greatest coaches of all time, and he, I know he was a basketball coach, but his uh, a pyramid principle applies here, is that you never get too high and you never get too low, whether you're winning or losing, because there's always another game. You have to have a straight line. And the Red Wings, I would say, are emotionally, I mean, mm-hmm. a straight line. And, and, and I would say the Red Wings are emotionally a straight line team now. When you have a young team and a rebuilding team, and, you know, we've all been young before, uh, you know, uh, that you ride a wave of emotion as a young person. I still ride a wave of emotion, so I'm implying that I'm young. Yeah, and, you know, (laughs) know, my nickname for Daniela at times is The Edge, and you're going to be riding a wave of emotion when you're 90. (laughs) Uh, But but with all that said, I really do like that. You know, and and, and that was the thing. When you really looked at the offseason moves that Steve made, he brought in proven NHL talent that guys that had already had a bit of a resume in this league. So you might not say, well, it's not the superstar player. 
he didn't need the superstar player. He needed to get an, a lineup that was balanced, where they could roll four lines, mm -hmm. where everyone is capable of chipping in a goal or an assist, and everyone is capable of going on the power play if need be or killing penalties. That's what I'm talking about, and that's what Steve did. And that is exactly uh, the way you build a team. You have to remember, the key to remember is that Steve Eiserman's vintage Red Wing teams that he was captain of rolled four lines. Mm -hmm. That is the key. That's what Tampa was able to do. That's what he built in Tampa. And that's what he's building here in Detroit. And for the first time since he took over April 19th, 2019, this is a team that has the roster to roll four lines. And that's why they were able to bounce back from that Dallas game. We know earlier in the week, Monday and Tuesday, the Red Wings played a back-to-back -back Dallas being that first game and then rebounded in St. Louis, actually made St. Louis fire their coach the next day. So that's going to be a running joke Poor for a while. Poor old Craig Berube. I, mean, I, I know. Lions are, or pardon me, the, uh, the, the Red Wings are coach killers. Uh, you know, Minnesota too. Right. Man. <laughs> right, right. I don't know how to take I, that. I shouldn't but laugh, it, especially the holiday time. Someone's losing their job, and I'm like, oh, hey. No, it's but, a, I mean, it's part of the sports world, right? We all know that. When a team's yeah. going through a rebuilding process, when He'll they're in the down. Yes, Ruby exactly. That's exactly the point. He will get right back on his feet somewhere. It's just uh, ironic that it happens after two losses to the Red Wings. But bouncing back in a big way like that, going with 11 forwards and seven defensemen, Patrick Kane, I know he's a superstar, but to play the amount that he's played, I don't think the Red Wings wanted to do that to him. It's just the way things kind of played out. He had to play over 20 minutes in back-to-back -back nights. First of all, he's supremely talented, as we know. I mean, you know, we were joking around in the press box, except for maybe when uh, Dylan was playing with Henrik Zetterberg. It's pretty apparent that these Red Wings have never played with a player as gifted and as talented as Patrick Kane. Yeah. I mean, they're not even ready for half of the passes that he's doing. <laughs> I mean, the way he thinks the game, the way he he's, just conducts himself. He seems himself. ahead. He seems ahead right, of right. the, the you, average you know, I mean, and, NHL and again, you know, we all hated Patrick Kane, and he, he knows that uh, when, he was a, when he was a Black Hawk or on the opposition. But if you're an American... You loved him when he played on Team USA because he's a money player. Yeah. This guy, you know, they call him Showtime for a reason. He is Showtime, and he's showing it right now. Now, let's put the brakes on a little bit because, you know, all you religious people out there, light a candle for him because this has got – we know the talent's there. It's Is the body going to be there? I mean, this is a very cutting-edge, state-of-the-art surgery that he's doing for an athlete. And Andy Murray has done it in tennis – and Patrick Kane looks like he's doing it in hockey, so that's good. Speaking of Patrick Kane, he scored his first goal with the Red Wings against Ottawa at Little Caesars Arena. A very emotional goal, and it was quite the moment. Let's take a listen. Here comes to break it quickly over the line, moves it right circle to Patrick Kane, fired the shot, he scores! Oh, how animated is Kane! His first goal is a Detroit Red Wings. And this game is tied 1-1, and this crowd going wild in hockey time. Patrick Kane with an emotional first goal as a Red Wing at Little Caesars Arena. You could feel that one even in the 5-1 loss to Ottawa. So I mentioned, or we mentioned, Art, that the Red Wings lost a couple of games in a row there, that Ottawa game, and then go to Dallas. But bouncing back in St. Louis, and a big reason was the guys on the ice stepped up in the absence of the guys that could not play. And one of them was Lucas Raymond, who scored his 50th goal of his career at a big moment in the third period. Take a listen. Melinda with a feed in front, the Wings score, Lucas Raymond. 
Fired it from right out in front. It bounced off the goaltender, Bennington into the net. Power play goal. The Wings have tied it up early in the third. It's 4-4. Art, I mentioned this before we heard the highlight of Lucas Raymond's 50th goal, but that was a big game for him in a moment where the Red Wings really needed him. He had a goal and an assist on the Robbie Fabry goal. Big moment for the young kid. Lucas Raymond has stepped it up this year, and what he has done is, is he has gotten physically stronger. You can tell he went into the gym. He's maturing. He's becoming a leader on this team, and, and, I, and I think you're finding that. And, you know, the, the one thing that the Red Wings have always said is that, yeah, we can bring in some free agents and we can make trades and we can all do this, but if the way we're going to become an elite-level team, a playoff team, is we have to get better from within, and they are getting better with, from within. Joe Valeno playing excellent. Michael Rasmussen upped his game. Lucas Raymond is blossoming into the elite level player that uh, that was expected of him. And I think that's really a key. Not only what Steve has done with the roster is fill it out with some veteran talent, mm-hmm. but the young number and the, and the three guys I just mentioned are all number one draft picks. Yeah. Uh, all drafted in the first round are starting to become bona fide NHLers, and that's a really good sign for the Red Wings. Yes, everyone should be very encouraged, I think, by that performance in St. Louis because it means the Red Wings can do it and the depth is real. We've been preaching depth all season, and I think that game proves that the Red Wings have the depth. Of course, there are some things they need to clean up, which I think all of us have seen, and I think they have seen, so it doesn't go unnoticed. They know there are some things that need to be fixed if they're going to make a deep playoff run, which actually, Art, our guest for today thinks the Red Wings are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, it was really surprising to hear John Butchergrass uh, uh, wax poetic uh, on the uh, on the Detroit Red Wings because, you know, uh, a lot of fans in southeastern Michigan are not the biggest fans of ESPN right now for a variety of different <laughs> reasons. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, but uh, uh, Butchergrass, who's a good hockey guy, kept hockey alive at ESPN as far as I'm concerned when they lost the contract. Uh, you know, de- I don't know, like 17 years ago or whatever it was. But, yeah, just a, a great interview and what a fun person. Yeah, he talks about all of that and more. You can hear that interview next on the Red and White Authority brought to you by Labatt Blue. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Red and White Authority brought to you by Labatt Blue. We've got a very special guest joining us this week. ESPN's John Buchagross is with us. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. We're excited to chat some hockey with you. Anytime. Always love talking about hockey. Yeah, we know that. And this is where I want to start. <laughs> so you've been with ESPN for a while. You've been talking hockey for a while. But just recently, I think this is the third year of the deal, ESPN got the rights back to the NHL. Can you just talk about how cool that was for you, how special <laughs> it was for you, and just being a part of the hockey's return to ESPN? Yeah, it was a huge moment. I've been at ESPN for 27 years. I was hired in 1996. and We had the NHL at the time. And then we lost it in 2004, and it was away for you know 17 years. So uh, you know the fact that uh, that it came back when it did. I you know I'd been there for so long and talked about the NHL on Sports Center and wrote a hockey column for about 15 years till about 2017 on ESPN.com. I've been doing the college and the Frozen Four and the NCAA championship, so that was good to be able to get into that when the NHL left in 2004. But yeah, to get it back for as long as I've been at the company and to get that second win, to get that rush of enthusiasm and energy, uh, that was really a blessing to be able to, to, to get that a couple of years ago. And then probably, quite frankly, extend my career possibly. Who knows if I would still be at ESPN <laughs> if the NHL didn't come back. So maybe it saved me and got me a few more years uh, at ESPN. If that's the case, great. And uh, like you said, it was a seven-year deal. 
I'm signed for another two and a half years. So I'll make it through five years of the deal. Hopefully we'll do another two year deal at least and see where the NHL's future goes from there. But yeah, it was an amazing moment, amazing time. I'll never forget it. Uh, it really was like Christmas. It really was like first day of school. It was a lot of vibes that I'll never forget. Well, you know, your passion for everything you do really comes through. <laughs> and, uh, and on behalf of hockey fans everywhere, I want to thank you for keeping <laughs> hockey alive on ESPN. If it wasn't for you, I don't know if the sports would have existed on that network. It's being mentioned at all. And, I, and I'm not knocking ESPN. I'm just saying different philosophies. I know how, you know, management teams think and stuff like that. But was it difficult? I know it wasn't on a personal level difficult for you, but, per, you know, professionally, is it like, God, I really want to talk about, you know, Connor McDavid, or I really want to bring college hockey into the conversation? Uh, did you find, not that they were saying, no, John, you can't talk about it, but I mean, you, was it a little bit of a, I don't know, everyday battle? You're like the, uh, the lone wolf <laughs> out in the woods, you know, uh, talking about the, the NHL. At times it was frustrating early on, but then I did kind of just raise the white flag and say, well, I'll do what I can. I'll suggest things we can talk about on SportsCenter. Um, I know it's not really a part of the everyday daytime conversation, really all across the country. That is the, the big challenge really for every sport, not just the NHL. It seems to be it's pretty much down to just football now where people talk about all day long. Some NBA a little bit, but really you know, it's a challenge for baseball and hockey to get talked about on morning shows on television or the radio even in big hockey markets it can be a challenge sometimes so yeah at times it was but again I had my hockey column once a week like I said till about 2017 that was a great outlet for me I liked kind of being the outsider especially writing that column I could be very free and talk about things that um, I felt uh, were you know to talk about without worrying about the NHL and having a relationship with them like we do now um, so I kind of like that, you know, doing more sports centers and raising my status there was a big thing for my career. And that was great for me to be able to do that. And then now going back towards hockey where there's not as many eyeballs, but that's OK. That was never really my focus. But at times it might have been a little frustrating, but maybe part of it was maybe that again, maybe that played into my hands. Maybe it was good that we didn't have hockey. And I was the one guy who kind of followed the sport. And again, maybe that's why they kept me around for so long. I don't know why they kept me around for so long, but I'm glad they did. So maybe all these things you talk about just all worked in my favor. <laughs> Hockey fans know exactly why they kept you around for so long and why, why you still got this great gig at ESPN. Um, before we get to the Red Wings, unfortunately, none of our listeners can see you right now, but we're recording on Zoom and Bucci's got this college hockey <laughs> shirt on, right? Okay. So, of course, I have to ask. Now, you're talking to a Michigan State Spartan and myself yeah. and a Michigan Wolverine in nice. art. So we love to go back and forth on this. But I'm so impressed with what Michigan State hockey has been able to do this year yeah. that I felt like I had to let you talk about them a little bit. It's been impressive. <laughs> and we're watching the the goaltender, Trey Augustine, is a Red Wings closely. Prospect, so we're keeping our eyes on them. Right. Yeah, no, it's like I said, I went to ESPN in 2006, two years after we lost hockey and said, Hey, can you mind if I do play-by-play -play for one of these NCAA regional games? They're always There's always two of them in New England, near ESPN, in Connecticut. I could drive to the games. You don't have to pay me extras. You know, I'm just a salaried employee, so I save you some money that way. I save you a plane ticket because I'll drive to the game and drive back. Um, so that, that's where I started that. And then about six years later, when my contract was up and I was negotiating, and I said, I want to be the voice of the Frozen Four. I want that put in my contract so I know I get to do it. 
And so they did that in 2013 was my first one. And that's when I really started to focus on it and give it the attention I felt it deserved. I felt it was underserved uh, in America, big time college hockey. The play-by-play announcers would show up. They might learn three or four names, but they didn't really follow the sport throughout and give those kids their proper due. So that was really my main focus when I started doing the Frozen Four in 2013, was just give these athletes the proper shine. And I've enjoyed doing that on Twitter with my rankings and then my you know, my swag you talked about, college hockey, and with the Boston accent. And um, so it's been fun. But, yeah, so now – and seeing how, you know, when I first started, my first champion was Yale in 2013, then Union. That's when all these kind of young, small, plucky schools figured out, boy, if we get older players, send them to USHL for a couple of years. We'll take you at age 20 to 24. We know this is your last big stop. You're not an NHL prospect, so you're going to pour out your hearts and guts for your school because that's really going to be the most prestigious hockey you play. You get enough of those guys, then they buy all in. They don't have one put out the door. So all the blue bloods, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, Boston University, you know, Boston College, they kind of fell off a little bit because they kept bringing these 18-year-olds. And when you have an 18-year-old playing hockey against a 24-year-old who's playing life and death because he knows this is my biggest chance to win something, and the 18-year-old has one foot out the door because he was drafted, that's not a great recipe. So now it seems like it's starting to swing back. Maybe NIL money has something to do with that, and they can pay some of these players. But Michigan State's back. Boston University's back. Boston College is back. You look at the top of the rankings, and now all those blue bloods are back. So to have Michigan State come back, this one proud program, once proud program, national championships, and it's so great. And, and to see them come back like this so strong, is great. You know what Big Ten hockey has done for college hockey. I think has been immense. And many college hockey purists felt like it ruined college hockey because it broke up some of those conferences. But they got more games on TV. We got and so the other conferences had to follow suit. There's more games there's ever been before on TV, and um, and the Big Ten has kind of led the way in that. So yeah, it's great to have that back. Those brand names and everybody knows about across America. And so this year's Frozen Four is in St. Paul, Minnesota. So I always root for like three big schools and one little one, like a Cinderella story. That's go. always my recipe. <laughs> so like a Michigan, Michigan State, Boston College, and then maybe an RIT or, you know, Quinnipiac won it all last yeah. year. So that's kind of my formula. But no, Sparty's back and uh, great to see them back. Well, actually, you know, Michigan really has never left yet. <laughs> right. they just, But they just can't really seem to win it, even yeah. though – they're producing NHL players right and left. So you, John Butchergrass, a man that Me. we all look up to, you, why can't Michigan win a college hockey national championship? Why? I opened Pandora's Please box, me. didn't I? Yeah. I did open Pandora's box with this one. You did. Well, it's hard. We know it's hard to win championships in every sport. That's number one. But again, they've been on the younger side, right? They've been right. kind of on yeah. the slightly younger side. We actually threw up. A, I did a game last week. I did, a, you know, the, the Red Wing game last week. And we talked about, you know, teammates on that one team. They talked about, I mean, you guys had Zach Hyman, Zach Rowinski, um, Dylan Larkin. There's like five guys who are in the league, like you said. But when they're 18, 19, that's different from 22, 23, 24. So that's so those older schools need to kind of find that fine line where they develop these kids who stay for four years. So they're 22, 23, 24. And then you bring a couple of those phenoms in. And, and supplement them. And I think that's kind of the way of the future. And that's what they're hoping for. But yeah, Michigan's always been just slightly young and that's what's kind of cost them against some of these big older schools. All right. Now we will get to some Red Wings hockey and we're going to do that right now. 
John, you watch a ton of NHL hockey, right? And you've got the perspective of not just being a Red Wings fan. Like we do a little bit. We're a little, little right. bit of homers. We admit that. Um, what is the perspective of the Red Wings from somebody that follows <laughs> the entire league? Um, well, you know, right now, I, I think uh, the perspective is good. Obviously, the eyes are planned. We've got a, plenty of attention. And they're like, well, when's this going to happen? But part of it is getting lucky uh, on draft years, first getting lucky with the ping pong balls, and then getting lucky that there's actually the you know the crop of players there to pick. Some years you can pick third and get a Hall of Famer. Other years you pick third and get like, geez, maybe he's a third liner. It's like you just got to be lucky and get fortunate that when you're drafting, like, here in Edmonton, where I am, about the call, you know, the Oilers game, the the year they picked first overall, oh, Connor McDavid was there, you know, and some years he's not there, and the Blackhawks, well, Connor Bedard is there, you know, whoever wins the draft lottery next year, Connor Bedard won't be there, they'll miss by a year, so you got to kind of time that year when you get lucky first with the draft lottery, and then get lucky, there's actually some big horses there, and then get lucky a couple years in a row, going back to the Blackhawks, get Taves and Kane back to back, right? Penguins, Crosby, Malkin, back to back. It's like, man, they're so fortunate. And so, obviously, the Red Wings with, with you know with Cider and Raymond, these are really good players. But are they Nicholas Listrom and Steve Eiserman, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, so that's what you need to get. But what they've done here after they realize, okay, this is going a little slow. Let's start to get some veterans. Let's get David Perron. Let's bring in some guys and Andrew Kopp and JT Comfort. Two more Wolverines. They're everywhere. And um, they are. Yeah, so now they build a nice where they have four centers, right, right down the middle, and again, three of them went to Michigan, and then and then you have one sniper on each line, right? Daniel Sprong's a great addition, and Perron, and of course the Brinkett, you brought him in, and every line seems to have a finisher, um, and then you bring in obviously Patrick Kane, who could be a great addition if he continues to look like he's looked. Now the offense is kind of pretty good. Now can they prevent goals? Right? Is the goaltender? Uh, playoff ready is the d quick enough and fast enough and deep enough as well so it's a slower process this Iser plan probably slower than even he would like um but again you're kind of a prisoner to the draft year and the draft uh lottery and that and, and then, they, then you do the best they can the one thing is again detroit is a free agent destination players will sign there some cities aren't like here in edmonton they won't come here as a free agent but they'll go to detroit so they have that. If somebody becomes available, whether it's a trade guy like Jack Eichel did a couple of years ago, when they're suddenly they're on the market as a trade piece, they'll go to Detroit. They'll okay that. And a free agent will sign in Detroit. So that's the one thing they have going for them. I'm not sure if they have a Stanley Cup roster yet. Probably not. Now, how do they get there from this point? Because they no longer stink and they're no longer going no to pick one, two, or three. So now comes the hard part, right? There's a lot of teams where they are. How does that team make its next step? unexpected 20-year-old in the minors now who pops. Didn't think he'd be that this good. That's what they kind of need. Get lucky, maybe a free agent or a trade, and then get a couple of those prospects. You know, like with the Boston Bruins, Brad Marchand was a third-round pick. You know, they never thought he was going to be Brad Marchand, right? He might be in the Hall of Fame. But when he was 21 years old, 20 years old, playing the AHL, they didn't know that. Maybe the Red Wings have a couple people right now from these last two or three draft classes that are in the minors or maybe even a couple still playing juniors or in Europe that are going to pop a little more than they thought. That's what they need to happen. But, you know, it's interesting because the philosophy now, I think Detroit's philosophy was, you know, we're, we're not very good. We're rebuilding and they have fallen more than any other team in the NHL draft, like eight, nine spots. Right. You know, the year they're going to go one, they end up yep. getting four, but they end up getting Lucas Raymond. Although Tim Stutzler right. was the player that they were going to take. 
That was the guy right. that they, they absolutely wanted. He's a center. Steve, of course, is obsessed with centers because sure. he's one of the greatest centers of all time. But with all that said, the model that I think that they're trying to go for, and I really want to see if you agree with this, is let's do it the Vegas way. We're not going to get Connor McDavid. You know, we're just not going to get Connor Bedard. We're not going to get anybody named Connor, I guess, is what this means. (laughs) (laughs) If your name's Connor, you're not going to be a Red Wing. But with that said, if we can get a bunch of Dylan Larkins and have nine forwards that are 20 to 25 goals, that that might be the way a lot of these teams that don't have draft luck that are looking mm-hmm. for it, that that might be the new formula of getting a Stanley Cup contender, doing it like Vegas did it, you know, a little bit like Seattle, you know, as an expansion team did it. Do you see that maybe being a philosophy that you may not get the big star, you may not get the elite player, but if you have several very, very good players and throughout your lineup, forwards and defensemen, you might be able to win the cup. Right. I guess the one thing I would say fell right into their lap. And he's not Connor McDavid, but you're talking a guy who's probably going to play a thousand games, a thousand points, and make the Hall of Fame. And he became available. And without him, they don't win the cup last year, right? Right, right. So that's what but but again, but they got him via trade. So you need I think you need a couple of horses like that. But you're right. The league is spread out now. This the cap hasn't moved. So the 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 talent level is almost dead even, like we've never seen. Uh we're only going to add a couple more teams so the talent gets spread out even more. So, yeah, whoever has the depth, whoever can just have a 18 good hockey players and have a really good hot goaltender like Aiden Hill was for Vegas last year, um, that's really what it's all about. And really, it's always been about that way, right? I mean, people think you know, people call Bobby Orr the greatest player of all time. Only won two cups. Connor mm-hmm. McDavid is the best player of all time. Hasn't won a cup yet. So, right. obviously, it's not, like you said, it's not just getting those stars. You need a team. It takes 18 guys. It takes 20 guys with the goalies. And um, so, yeah, so, yeah, and it's just every year, okay, here's our roster. We need a guy a little bit better than him and a little bit better than him and a little bit better than him. Is Edmondson going to produce into a top four, you know, defenseman? Uh, Is Costa their guy in net? You know, so these are things you just don't know. Young players, you never know if they're going to take a leap and how much it's going to be. And then if they get – I think they'll get fortunate with the free agent or at some point as they add up these prospects and someone like Jack Eichel's available, it's like, okay, do we trade – Raymond and Edmondson, or do we trade Edmondson and Casa and a one to get Jack Eichel, to get Leon Dreisaitl? Like Leon Dreisaitl will probably be available this summer. He's got one year on his deal. Edmonton's like, hey, are you going to sign an eight-year deal with us or not? Otherwise, we're going to have to trade you. So what if Dreisaitl's available next summer? Now, you, you tell me Steve Eisman wouldn't drool over that. Now it's like, what do we give up to get him? Well, we would give up Edmondson. We would give up Casa. We would give up a number one. We would give up number two because we're ready to go. We just put Leon Dreisaitl in the middle. Then we slot Larkin the number two center, and then we slot Comfort a three where he was in Colorado. Now we have a Stanley Cup team. That's all it takes. One moment in time like that where a Dreisaitl was on the market because he's not going to extend here, and now, boom, here's your shot. Go get him. And, and he would most, go to Detroit. Well, right, and he would. And Mo Sider would be very, very happy, and he would sign an eight-year eight year extension for at least nine mil a year. So if yeah, it use, use that German tie, absolutely. If he gets <laughs> That's to see exactly it, right. I'll Zane. Danke. <laughs> if he gates. There you go. And maybe Stutzla joins Bo, eventually, too. That That's might be right. A great, that might be a That's super right. team. And then if we <laughs> yeah. could somehow get Stutzla to be not enamored with Ottawa, 
then it, right. before you know it, we're Berlin we East. It's no longer right. Swedes. It's Germans in Detroit now. That's no right. more Swedes. German, Germans, Germans. United right. Nations. That's exactly right. <laughs> we only have a few more minutes left in this, so I want to get this in because – and it has nothing to do with hockey, of course. But, Bucci, it's probably one of my favorite things about following your Twitter page and everything following you everywhere is that you're obsessed with chicken parm. <laughs> I had it for lunch today. Did no you? Okay. So I need to know, this is going to be a two-parter. Number one, where did this obsession with chicken parm start? And number two, can you actually make a really good chicken parm? Oh, that's the- I'm, I make a phenomenal chicken. Oh. I'm a, actually a great cook. I can make a lot of things. I can okay. take care of you, whatever you need. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, go. and dinner. Yes. I got you. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, really started I, when I hosted NHL Tonight in the late 90s early aughts and ray ferraro would come do uh guest analyst work after his team would miss the playoffs like they did every year and uh he would come do some uh playoff guest analyst work for us and he mentioned yeah yeah players eat chicken parm a lot i go really and at that point again i'm I'm, you know i'm a young man but i had never really grown up with chicken parm you know i grew up kind of you know lower middle class in the midwest a big night out was mcdonald's i never went to a fancy restaurant so really i in my early 30s like i never went to a steakhouse till i was like 33 you know and uh so i just really never grew up with chicken parm i wouldn't have gone anywhere who had it my mom didn't make it she made spaghetti and lasagna once in a while um but yeah so i said boy this really is good and so i would just start having after workouts for lunch for dinner it's it's just one of those meals it's like a between the tackles you know, meal, you know, it's going to be good. It's never terrible. It's always good. It can be amazing, but really it's hard to mess up chicken parm. So it's just money in the bank. Like when you're hungry, you want to make sure you get satiated. You don't want to gamble when you no flea flickers when you're hungry, right? I want to know what, I'm going to get something I know I'm going to like. So it just kind of, it just kind of became a habit and a little pasta, a little chicken, love a sauce. I love cheese. And then from there, it just kind of, and then, yeah. And then of course I gave Ray Ferraro the nickname chicken parm Ray Ferraro when he went back and played for the Thrashers, just as like a little Ita- Italian shout out to him. And then from there it caught on. He'd be going down airports and people would, Hey, chicken parm. Hey, chick-. your nickname is actually a dish. You know, how silly is that? So the whole thing is silly. And then a couple of pictures on Twitter and then it starts going crazy and people ask me to rate it. And now here we are. And it's people, it's, it's become, unfortunately, I'm synonymous. I'll never win an Emmy. But people will remember me for chicken parm. You Always. Know? I love it. it it's great. It, there, there are worse things to be remembered for, okay? Yes. If you're remembered for I chicken guess. parm, that's a good one. Exactly. That's my gift to the world. Well, chicken parm is, is a delicacy. I think we all know that, especially all of us who have grown up in a lower middle class background. I mean, that, that <laughs> is the food that, uh, that we come to. But please, eggplant parmesan, it has to make you vomit, right? There's no way. It's just, a, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever actually tried it. It just sounds bad. So it does. I, I, it's I, bad. Yeah. I, but some people love it. You know, Emily Kaplan <laughs> swears by it. My ESPN colleague, she swears by it. And so does uh, Ryan O'Reilly of the Natural Predators because he's a vegan. So he, he does the eggplant. I'm sorry. Just eggplant. I love eggs. And I like plants in my house. But eggplant together, it just it sounds mushy to me. I don't know why. It just, no, it no, just it, sounds it, like it'd be mushy. The consistency would not be there. It was. It's, yeah. It gets in your mouth, and you go, "I have to spit this out." I just yes. have it's to spit good, this guys. out. I'm telling you, I like both because right. I'm not oh, yeah. a vegetarian or a vegan, but I will eat either. I don't you judge. I don't parm judge. In front of me. Yeah, I, you put right. chicken parm in front of me. I'll do both. I should uh, try I, it. I should try it. I hope it's not sacrilege for me to try it, but I should. Well, John, 
That's about that's all the time we that's have good. today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's been fun talking hockey with you guys. Love the wing wheel. Love coming to Detroit and calling games. Little Caesars is one of the best arenas in the NHL. It's beautiful, and I love coming to downtown to go and see some live music and having uh, eaten a great restaurant. And there's a Grayson store in downtown Detroit. My favorite clothes <laughs> is Grayson. And I love going to that Grayson store in that old bank right there, right by the hotel we stay at, the Bond Boys. So, uh uh, yeah, love Detroit. Thanks so much for having me and good luck the rest of the year to the, to you guys and the Wings and, and, uh, and all their fans. Thanks again to John for taking the time to join us. When we come back on the Red and White Authority, we're going to take a look at a new segment called Two Minute Minor. This week's guest is Mo Sider. Another big thank you to ESPN's John Bouchagross for joining the Red and White Authority. Art, he was excellent. Loved everything he had to say about Michigan and Michigan State hockey. Of course, that's that's always awesome to talk about, especially right now with both teams being pretty exciting. Big Ten hockey is a lot of fun. But of course, my favorite thing that he said in that interview was that if he were betting on it, he would have the Red Wings in a playoff spot come March, early April. Well, yeah, I think it's music to our ears, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this team's capable. They're a playoff team. They're on the cusp, if, if, if at the very worst, let's put it that way. But yeah, I, I think it was absolutely right. And but you know, the thing I really liked is is that I can't wait to see Leon Drysaddle as a Red Wing next year. And then we definitely can recruit. Tim Stutzla to come to Detroit, right. too. Right, like, yeah, you don't coming. like Ottawa. Come on, man. Yeah, it's not, no good. No good yeah, over there. Look know. how far ahead we are, right? right? That was a little jab at Ottawa. I didn't mean to do that, but I did. Well, of. yeah, of course. <laughs> Ottawa's like the, the Colorado Avalanche of this era. our rival right now. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. definitely. Exactly. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, obviously a lot of good insight there by uh, Butcher Gross, and it's a shame that he isn't going to be able to do a Red Wing game this year unless they make the playoffs. So maybe uh, – Oh, he'll be here in Detroit uh, come uh, late April. And if you ever order chicken parm anywhere or you make it, make sure you send him a picture on Twitter. He will give you a rating on your chicken parm dish. 100%. No eggplant He's like the guy that does the pizza ratings. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But I think chicken parm is more creative, honestly. They all look the same to me. (laughs) It's all Italian. Italian It's chicken with cheese. Yeah, uh, cheese. Sauce, right. it's Italian foods, a little bit of breading in there. <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's don't Italians. get me wrong, I love it. I mean, <laughs> I love it. But I mean, you know, I, yeah, like, yeah, that looks like chicken parm. <laughs> Art, we have a new segment that we're going to try on the Red and White Authority today. And it's called Two Minute Minor, where I sit down with a player and you guys get a little inside look at their personal side, right? Not them as the hockey player. We get to know them as a person a little bit more. I tried to keep it topical for this first one, Okay. Talking about the holidays, Mo Sider tells us some of his traditions as a child. All right, on today's segment of Two Minute Minor, we're talking to Mo Sider, and we're going to talk some holiday traditions, Mo. For your family growing up, what were some of the biggest holiday traditions? Holiday traditions, we would always um, put up the Christmas tree the first weekend in December. Um, Then, obviously, that thing would be light up the whole time, Um, and then... We celebrate Christmas on the 24th. Uh, we would get together, um, even sometimes go to the church with, with my grandparents and then have dinner together, go on a big walk, and then we would come back and Santa would, uh, would be there, we'd get our gifts, and then we would um, see uh, family and friends on the 25th and 26th and then uh, just be all together at home. How do you say Santa Claus in German? What did you call him? Uh, it's the Weihnachtsmann. Okay. I did not know that one. So that's a fun fact. That's a new one for me. When you guys got your Christmas tree, was it, did you use a fake tree or did you go get a real tree? Uh, Growing up, we always went and got a real tree, but it was already 
one with a like a social effect on um, it would always be the one that has a little ick somewhere or was shorter than the other ones or had one side that wasn't as nice um, and my mom would always pick that one and now for the first time we got a got a fake one and um, planning on having that for a couple of years now. How about you personally because obviously you're here in Detroit now and you spend your holiday here have you created any new traditions with your teammates or anybody? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, we for sure gonna, I'm not gonna wait until the 25th I'm, until I'm opening my gift. So, uh, <laughs> open gifts early? Opening gifts will be on the 24th at night and um, yeah, we'll, we'll have a full house. Um, my parents and my grandma will come. And, oh, they're coming in? Yeah, my, uh, my girlfriend's parents will, will be there too, so we have a pretty full house. I love that. Well, thank you for letting us know what you're doing this Christmas. Yeah, uh, I think it will be, will be a good time. Yeah, it'll be a great time. Thank you, Mo. So the biggest thing I learned from talking to Mo there, Art, he's sick of his teammates. He's like, get my family in here for Christmas. I don't need any new traditions with these guys. I see enough of them. Well, I think he's looking forward to speaking German. <laughs> that probably, probably. I'd imagine it'd be tough to not speak your native language yes. at all, really. Right, yeah, he doesn't speak it. You know, there's, uh, until Leon Dreisaddle gets here next year, uh, <laughs> he's not going to be speaking German with, uh, with anybody anytime soon. I, I, he attempts with me because my last name is German, but uh, you know, isn't Santa Chris Kringle? He's German, right? I, Santa Claus is German. I would try to repeat what Mo said yeah, and say sounded, Santa Claus in German, that but I'm obscene, just yeah. That name. I, I, don't, I, I think they Should might change it. Should we double check that? Yeah, really, uh, Mo could be uh, messing with yeah, us. Right I now. think Mo might have just cussed at you. <laughs> he may have. He was probably like, "Not her again." Are you kidding me? Oh yeah, yeah. Look that up. You're gonna, uh, the FCC is going to be knocking on your door Christmas Eve. <laughs> Well, Art, so we know what Mo's doing on Christmas, and you mentioned you talk about how you're German all the time, and do you and Mo have any of the same traditions? What do you do on Christmas? Well, it's really odd because uh, my family, uh, the thing I can remember was my parents almost getting divorced every time they put up the real Christmas tree. <laughs> I think many people have <laughs> because that they were, they were screaming at each other, no, George, it goes in this way. No, Catherine, it goes in that way. You know, I mean, it was just like, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, me and my sister are sitting there going, wow. Maybe we shouldn't celebrate Christmas this year, uh, but uh, do we really need a tree? Yeah, yeah, do we, yeah, maybe not a tree. Let's get a, a let's you know let's get an artificial one. No, damn it, we're getting a real one. Uh, you know, all right, okay, well, uh, okay, well, when you get to figure it out, we're going to be downstairs. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I, yeah, you know, Mo's a great guy, and you know, when he was drafted in Vancouver. I got to talk to him. I was at the draft. I was the first person because, you know, working for the Red Wings. He sits down, he looks at me, and he sees my name, you know, my, and he goes, Regner. He goes, that's German. And he pronounced it correctly because, believe it or not, people mispronounce my name a lot. And I said, well, yeah. I go, well, thank you. Thanks <laughs> for I, noticing. I appreciate that. <laughs> like, and he started laughing. It's like, yeah, I know my last name's German, you know, you, 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 you know. But he, I can tell that he's very into his family. And his story is great because his family left their jobs in the city that they were in because when he went to play in Mannheim, his parents moved with him to Mannheim and they left their work and, you know, for Mo. They made and, a good decision. And, you know, and I know <laughs> he's really, really appreciative yeah. of that. And, you know, and I've met his, uh, his father a few times. Who's, his you dad's know, incredible. Great guy. And, and I big picture him and I like hugging each other at uh, on the concourse here at at LCA, and you know. But his parents are wonderful people, 
and they have made sure that their son has had everything that he needs. And trust me, the person that's most appreciative is Mo Sider. So I know that this is going to be a good Christmas for him, not only with mom and dad and grandma there, but, you know, his, uh, his girlfriend and, uh, and her parents. So that'll be good. There'll be a lot of German spoken on the 24th. Are you curious about my traditions at all? Y- yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the art show. The art show, the art show, the, the German show. You, yeah. you weren't even going to ask me. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I am interested, but I would imagine that it's going to be. All right, let me ask you something, because I learned something watching Bobby Flay's Christmas competition, oh that there is an Italian tradition on Christmas Eve called the Meal of the Seven Fishes. Do you, you know what this fish. is? Well, you, we just eat fish. Right. Well, Christmas I guess, Eve. but I guess real Italians, Daniela. Uh, yes, eat, coming ha- from the very real German. Have have like seven different fishes yeah. that they eat on Christmas Eve. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, we just usually have a fish dish that rhymes. Well, that go goes to like with Long John Silvers and bring Popeyes. Get some <laughs> shrimp. No, we, <laughs> we we make an actual fish. But this year, I'm starting some new traditions. Okay. That's why I wanted to tell you. Well, because you're engaged, you're right. going to be married, and I, I can't. I'm and our excited. families get along great. And I don't know why it's taken us so long to finally oh, so combine you're the Christmases. Together. Yeah, so it's it doesn't have to be four Christmases anymore. Vince and I were the movie four Christmases for a long time. Oh wow! Yeah, so now it's going to be everybody combined, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're having a party on the twenty third actually, because that's a Saturday this year. So we get everybody together at the same time, All which right, is well, what excellent. Time you, what time do I have to be there? Five o'clock. All right, I'm there. <laughs> we need the German traditions too. <laughs> really, I'll, I'll bring Mo and Chris Kringle with me. All right, perfect. And per- Grandma. <laughs> I want Mo's dad and mom to come too, so see if they're, they're available. If Kai's there, it's going to be a long party. <laughs> yeah, good. We, we like to we go pretty late anyway. All right, everybody. Well, that does it for another episode of the Red and White Authority, brought to you by Labatt Blue. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank we'll, you. <laughs> that was a great thank you, Art. Well, right when I was about to wrap it up, I'm very All sincere. Right. He threw me off. We'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>